Well, I'd like to, to invite you, um, as the ushers are passing the plate, I'd like to invite you to turn, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, what, what is a, an incredible passage of Scripture. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And um, this, this morning, we're going to kick off a series that I'm excited about. It is a series that is going to focus in on stewardship, what it means for us to care for the resources that God has provided for us. Uh, and, and I'm excited to talk about it for a couple of reasons. I love, I love this story um, that uh, a famous British pastor shared many years ago. He had a lot of farmers in his church, and he said this is a true experience that he had. Uh, but a man in their congregation had, had been blessed. He had these prized cows, and the, the man had been blessed uh, with, with twins to be born to a prized cow. And he was so excited about this gift that he felt like was a gift from God that he told his wife, he said, honey, when the cows are older, we're going to take it to market. We, I feel like we just need to give one of these cows to the Lord. And so his wife was the practical one in the family. And she said, well, which one are you going to give? And yeah, we'll just deal with that later on. And um, so the cows grew, and then there was a day when he came into the kitchen, and he was heartbroken, and he said, honey, I'm, I'm so sad to share this with you, but God's cow died. <laughs> and, and so as, as a sweet, the sweet wife that she was, she said, well, well honey, how, how did you know which cow was? Oh, honey, I know it was the white one. He said back to her, I knew it was the white one, you know. And I, I love that story um, because I, I think that there's a part of us when we talk about giving sacrificially, uh, that we have our boundaries, right? We have our limits. We have our expectation. I think for many of us, we look at what it means to give back to the Lord, and we have parameters that we put around it. And in some ways, uh, we can relate to what Jimmy Carter famously said. He said, when it comes to giving, some people will stop at nothing. I think that's a clever way to put it, right? Like that, that we have our boundaries, we have our limits, we have our expectations on what it means for us to provide. And this morning, we're going to launch into a series. We're going to see in this fascinating Old Testament story an example for us of what it means for a group of people to rally around what God wants to do and to invest in the next generation of worshipers. The investment that they're going to make is going to last for 400 years, and it's going to alter the course of history, this investment in what we know of as Solomon's temple. And at the root of all of this is going to be a desire for worship, a desire for the God of the universe to receive the praise and the glory and honor that he deserves. And I think in this stewardship series, we're going to talk about what it means to care for God's resources, what it means for us to be people who understand that we really possess nothing in our own strength, but instead that everything that we have is God's resources. This is his. And, and so as we talk through this, what we're going to talk about is in the process of giving, we receive in the process of grasping, in many ways we lose. Uh, I, I'm, I'm honest enough to say to you that I understand that this is uncomfortable for some of us as we talk about giving, as we talk about sacrificial giving. I think for one reason is that there have been people who've stood in pulpits like this and they have done something in this context that's been evil. And what I mean by that is, you know, Satan is the one who loves to steal, right? That's one of the things that he loves to do. And some people under the term of religiosity, or manipulation have asked people to give to them 
or to their kingdom or to their comfort in a way that has literally been to steal from the Lord. I always think of Satan's temptation with Jesus when uh, he stands before the kingdoms of the world and Satan says, I can give you all of this. And the joke is he had it all already, right? Like it was all his and Satan loves to twist and to manipulate and there have been people who've stood in podiums like this and uh, they've actually done what I think is quite evil. So when Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, you must do, the, do this thing. You must deny yourself. And there have been people who've stood in pulpits like this and they've said, if you just give me a dollar, God's gonna give you back too. I promise and guarantee it. And it's ironic that the very Lord that I worship didn't have a home. Like we say, we, we quote in scripture that Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He lived sacrificially. His disciples, we'll talk about it today. His disciples were forced to live at times on his daily bread, God's daily provision. And so the promise that some have said, if you just do this, then God is going to meet your deepest appetites, I really think that that falls short of the glory of God. I actually think it misunderstands what God has to say. And I, I want to say this cautiously, but I want to recognize that you and I have the privilege of living in one of the wealthiest nations that's ever lived in the face of the earth, that we're blessed people, even with inflation, that we're people who the Lord has provided for us greatly. And I, I like the way that Ben Rogers talks about this, why it is at times uncomfortable for some people to stand in pulpits like this and talk about things like this. And he, he describes it in this way. He says, when you go to the doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will often begin to poke. Can you guys relate to this? They're poking uh, and prodding and they'll say, does this hurt? Or how about this? And if you cry out in pain, there's one of two things that's happened. Either the doctor pushed too hard, right? Uh, which some of us have experienced in our life. Or the doctor is poking into something that needs to be addressed. And I think that in his wisdom, when he says that there's some people, and I've actually ironically had people not from this church family, but that will pull me aside and they'll complain about their pastors or their congregation. The pastor talks about money too much. And I understand that uh, if it's one of the two things that we said are temptations for pastors, then I say um, that that's a shameful thing. Um, but if it's just that, that we're poking into something that we need to address, then I, I think it's appropriate for us to say that we need to sit at the feet of the good physician, right? And we need to allow him to poke and to prod into something that may be a temptation for some of us. And I, I am hesitant to stand up and to preach on this because I am not the most generous of people. I, I, I am a, I'm married to somebody who's really generous, and it stinks because my wife is really generous. You guys are supposed to laugh at that. Um, but but, but I, I recognize at times I, I think of, of, of money and I think about how much time and energy went into acquiring it often. I think of the cost that it takes to maintain. I think of the resources that it can be, what it can be applied to. I think of bills that need to be paid. And I think that somewhere inside of that, when we're told in scripture where your treasure is, that your heart will be also, we're going to see that, that that needs to be stirred up inside of some of us. And I believe that God has Hope Church on a mission right now. I think God's doing great things at Hope Church. I am so excited, probably like King David was when he penned the words that, or when the story was written of what he was doing, that he 
has a vision of where the Lord's taking God's people in that time. I believe God's doing great things here. And I, and I want to affirm this message isn't to criticize people who aren't giving sacrificially. That's the last thing I want to communicate. Actually, at Hope Church, it's really amazing how many of you give so sacrificially. But I actually believe something about this whole vision that God's given us of his sacrificial giving that he tried to train his disciples. And that is, I think for some of us, we may be missing out on the blessing of allowing God to be in charge of everything in our life. So, so we're a little bit close-handed. Um, we have chosen to say, this is my resources, and we give God perhaps what might be the dead cows in our life. I love the way that this quote has been attributed to Martin Luther, and I love it. He says, I have tried to keep things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But what I have given into God's hands, I still possess. You know, what's beautiful about that statement is I believe in eternity. There is an investment that we get to make in our time period that we live on, on our life uh, that is counted in eternity. It doesn't mean that we're sad in heaven. Every tear has been wiped away. We understand that part. But we also recognize the motivation for someone like, like the Apostle Paul or even King David here is a recognition that the God that we worship and the God that we serve is one that receives glory and honor in the way that we invest our life, our time, our treasure, and our talents. You know, King David, who will, will surround in his part of his story as he transferred this vision onto his son Solomon, had written in, our, in the Old Testament, we know about 75 Psalms. Many of us have memorized those Psalms. We know that he was a man who loved to worship the Lord. And, and there's this moment in history when King David is looking at the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, we'll talk about the purpose of that and how uh, meaningful it was. But he's looking at the Ark of the Covenant and he's looking at his own house. He's sitting in his palace and he's looking at the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, why, why is it that I have this great place uh, to live and the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in a tent? Let's be honest, tents are okay. Uh, for about 20 minutes, right? Can you guys agree with me on that? So uh, he, he, this, the Ark of the Covenant is housed in something temporary. And what he does, this is a really significant central point this morning, is that he gives to the Lord according to his understanding of what God's value is in his life. And, and the numbers are gonna be incredible because David understands what it means to have an awesome God. I'd like to, to pray as we turn our hearts to God's word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Would you humble us and would you speak to us today? I thank you for your joy that spurs us on to love and good deeds. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. The first point this morning that's going to flow out of God's word is our God understands what is most important to us. We've, we've read in scripture and Jesus taught us that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Uh, that there's something intimately connected to our treasure with the way that we, what we love and what we invest in and what we care about. And so this, the passage that I referenced in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says this, that now when the king lived in his house, this is King David, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. So this is later in his life. He's He's retiring and he's resting in what has been an expanded kingdom 
a season of great blessing in his life, God's provision for him. And he sits back and then the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar. This was a famous house, King David's palace. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And so Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. King David would not have the privilege of building what would be known as Solomon's temple or Solomon's, um, th- this, this first uh, structure that would be able to house the ark, the ark and God's provision for his people, uh, partly, partially because he was a fighting man. He was a man who was a soldier. Now God would turn to the next generation and to allow Solomon to build this amazing palace is the way the text is gonna describe it for the Lord. I love this description of this palace. I love the idea of it. And uh, what we're going to recognize is the tent that the, um, the Ark of the Covenant sat in was about to get a real upgrade. Now, I'll just remind you of the Ark of the Covenant, that it manifested the very physical presence of God on earth. And it housed inside of it three very interesting things. The first thing is the Ten Commandments written by God on stone. Uh, the second thing, uh, which I find great, great fascination in, was a, was a staff that was Aaron's staff that in, in a time of conflict that it actually budded and produced fruit. So it was a staff that was a part of many of the miracles that were done in the Exodus. And now God shows his miraculous provision and also his ability to be over nature and it buds and produces what we know, know is it was a special gift of almonds. It's just amazing, God's work. And then finally, there was a golden bowl that held inside of it manna. Uh, but more importantly, uh, one time a year, the Ark of the Covenant was where a sacrifice was made on behalf of the sins of God's people. And we, we understand this as the mercy seat. We understand this as the place where God allowed his grace to flow over his people through death that happened. And so here this, this amazing thing that was the source of great victory and also represented the very living presence of God on earth, it needs a new home. And so what we see in scripture is that there was a gathering of resources. According to 1 Chronicles 22, 14, just, just listen to the resources that were devoted to the Lord's temple. 3,750 tons of gold, 37,500 tons of silver. Uh, David added from his own wealth, 110 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver. This means that there is this combined massive wealth. That's a lot of money that was invested in this. And there's other resources and things that were devoted to this uh, the, the actual construction of the temple was done in such a way out of so much respect for God in his presence that they actually did the work before. Uh, they used the quarries and stone and they, they brought it in and were told in scripture that it was built in relative silence out of reverence and respect for the Lord. It was no small thing. It would have been covering about the size of a football field. Uh, this temple with its beauty and its majesty um, and it was about as, ta- as tall as some of you who are Cedar Point fans like me, Steel Vengeance, about 20 story, or 10 stories tall. I'm sorry, 20 stories tall. And um, that was about 207 feet. So this, this temple was beautiful. It was representative of what God desired to bring himself glory and honor on earth. And 
I don't want to confuse for a minute. Uh, I think uh, Mark, Mark did a wonderful job last week reminding us that we are the body of Christ, that we are um, the manifestation of his loving presence on earth. And so uh, we don't worship buildings. There is not a holy of holies anymore in the same way, except for within our hearts because of the provision of the cross. And so I want to I clarify that when this happened, this was a time period in history that allowed us to recognize the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, but I also want to recognize and honor the attitude of what it meant to give God a worthy sacrifice. I think David understood the principle of value. I think David desired to establish for the next generation a place that was appropriate for worshiping his God. And now we finally get to 1 Corinthians chapter 29. I, I love this. I hope that you spend time studying this uh, after today. We're going to go through many of the verses early on, but today we're just going to focus in on two uh, particularly long verses at the beginning, and I want you to just see how clear this example of sacrificial giving is before us. It says, and David the king said to all of the assembly, this was a sacred assembly of God's people um, that were recognizing God was on the move. He says, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced and and the work is great for the palace. I, I want to pause here for a second. We think of places like Buckingham Palace or the White House. We think of the Taj Mahal. We, we think of places that were built suitable for the presence of a king. And, and here he's saying we, we need something that's suitable for the presence of the king. And his young and inexperienced wasn't a shot to the next generation. Uh, but instead, it was a recognition that he was not going to be the man who got to see the finalized process, that he was going to pass the baton on to the next generation of worshipers. He says, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. I want us to, to take a moment and understand that any action that involves us giving unto the Lord means that we have an accurate perspective of who God is. So when I said early on that, that we give according to our understanding of who God is, that for some of us, maybe we haven't taken the time to understand his strength, his majesty, what he desires and deserves from each and every one of us. But here, David doesn't grudgingly or out of necessity do this. This is, this is not a temporary sandcastle kind of investment, but instead he's going to be building a palace or he's going to be investing in a palace that's going to be suitable for a king. It says this in verse two. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. That, that phrase is a very important one when we talk about stewardship. Uh, I think that this implies that he's giving to the point where he feels it. Uh, we, we heard some of the numbers already that, that this was sacrificial giving for him. And, and, and there's a sense of this that he's saying that it's worth it. It's valuable. I, I want to honor the Lord in a way that he receives the best that I'm able to give for his glory. It says the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. 
I think that it's important for us to note when you see this, is you see that the man who we know of as a worshiper who wrote these 75 psalms that were exhortations, cries out to the God of the universe that here he sees this act as a mode of worship. We've said this before, but worship, an old English term that has at its roots worthship, and he's saying it's worth my investment. This is what it means for me to worship my God. So when I read, as far as I am able, I think that's a pretty far cry from dead cows, right? So as far as I am able is recognizing something that is a appropriate response to the goodness of our Lord. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it when he says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. You understand that? What he's saying there is we give in such a way that recognizes that God is valuable in our life. And it leads us to the second point this morning. And that is the God that we worship understands what is valuable and what is not. It's kind of strange in the text to hear God's word talk about things like silver and gold and onyx. And I, I feel like for some reason we separate ourselves from thinking that God understands value. Uh, but it's important for us when we recognize that God describes the heavenly home that he goes to prepare for those of us who placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 21, 21, he describes it this way. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the cities were made of pure gold, like transparent glass. And we can go on. He, he understands value. He understands what is rare and is precious. And often in scripture, it's used to describe his glory or his goodness or his provision. What I want to remind you, church, is that our God is, is awesome at multiplying the things that we hold value in. So you'll remember the story of the boy with his fishes and loaves that that, that that lunch mattered to him, right? Like that it was important, it was significant. It wasn't that he was carrying with him six lunches and for this moment when the Lord asked, how are you gonna feed these people? Um, it wasn't that. He actually had something of value that was significant to him. Uh, but when we allow the Lord to have what is significant to us, do you guys remember that at the end of the day, there were 12 baskets left over for that? I just, I just remind myself that God in his provision, it's so important to clarify, God does not lack anything. That God does not, so, so even the illustration of Aaron's staff budding, you know, a stick that's dead, uh, God does not lack anything. But I want us to catch this, and maybe this is important for us to do some soul searching this morning, is that as I want us to understand that if we're gripping tight on the things that we have and we're saying, but I can't afford tomorrow, what we are missing out, maybe we're saying, God, do you understand that I have daily needs? I have bills to pay. I have responsibilities that are in front of me. I have no idea what inflation's gonna, how's this gonna impact my life? God, do you not understand? And I'll just remind you, that's the same God who knew that his people in the wilderness needed to eat. And so what he chose to do was from heaven, send down his divine bread. That would have been cool. I think it was probably not the kind of bread that makes you fat, just made you happy, right? Uh, but uh, God gives us manna from heaven. The other thing that happened to be stored in 
that awesome place of God's presence, but that the rule was there was no Tupperware involved, right? That the rule was by the end of the day, you didn't go and you store it up for the next day's resources, but instead what you choose to do is you choose to say, thank you, Lord, for my daily bread. What's tomorrow gonna look like? And you know what he does? I think he's proven himself in my own life so faithful at the times when I have given sacrificially, the times I've recognized his goodness and his provision and I've been open-handed. What I have seen is him work in miraculous ways that shock me for his goodness and his provision. So here what we see is that God knows what is valuable. He's aware of what we consider valuable. Uh, one of the weirdest jobs that I ever had in my life was when we lived overseas. A friend of mine worked at a really high-end jewelry store, and uh, he actually hired me to be a mystery shopper. Um, you guys look at me, and you're like, yeah, he looks like he deserves to be at Cartier, right? Uh, but like Rolex, Cartier, all these, these stores that tourists would come and go in, and uh, they hooked me up with this wire and a secret camera. It was awesome. And, uh, but, but one of the jobs that I was hired to do at times would be there'd be vendors that were in the community that were selling fake things, but they were selling them as authentic uh, and so, um, so what, what I would do is I would go in, and what was amazing for me is that uh, you'd walk into a place, and they'd try to sell you a bracelet that was branded in a different way, and they'd say that it was authentic, and often they would only, uh, they would sell it for just maybe 10% less than what it was available at the real place. It was fraudulent. It was fake. I have no idea even if the diamonds or whatever was in there was real, but they were selling it as authentic, but it was something that was fake. And I think for some of us, um, it's important for us to recognize that God in his economy is aware of what is valuable. He understands the way that we give. He receives glory and honor in the process of us being people who are open-handed in the way that we give to him. And he's also sensitive and aware of the fact that sometimes we see this a tragic story in the book of Acts of sometimes we like to make ourselves look better than we do when we, than we should by the way we act like we're giving. And it's important for us to recognize that, that really this is about worship. It's about what God wants to happen. Do you guys know that when Jesus sent out his disciples, when he was training them, uh, that, that he had a funny statement. I think it's quite fascinating. In Luke 10, 4, he says, hey, you guys, carry no money bag. In other words, keep your wallet, keep your purse at home. You don't get to take your knapsack. Uh, don't take your extra sandals. Um, and and you, you might read that, and you're like, well, wait a second. They, if they have extra resources, uh, why wouldn't the Lord want them to take them on their missionary journey and I'll just tell you, it gives us insight into what God expects and what he wants from each of us, is he wants us to recognize that he is the source of everything for us. And at times, he wants us to look around and say, I have no idea how this is going to work. And then guess what happens? Is that he reminds us that he's faithful and he's good. You guys may not know this. Some of you haven't experienced this, but when you worship with believers and cultures that wrestle with their daily bread every day, that some of them are so much further along in their intimacy with the Lord because they have had times where they've said, I do not know how this is going to work. 
But every single time, God has proven himself faithful. Do you understand that? So, so with the disciples, he actually contrived a time period when they didn't get to take with them their extra resources. Why? Because he understood this truth about worship and worship and dependence upon the Lord. He understood that he wants his people to be desperately dependent upon him. Some of you, maybe like me, have spent, spent your life reading Oswald, um, Oswald Chambers. I, I love his devotional. And there's a, there's a quote that has stood out to me in his devotional that is very meaningful to me. I read this in a time when I think I was wrestling through sacrificial giving in my life. He says this. Uh, he said this to me. Sean, worship is giving God the best that he has given you. Wait, well, what do you mean? The best? that he's given me? Don't, don't I get to keep the best that he's given me? Isn't that my responsibility, my privilege, my right? No, worship is giving God the best that he's given you. Be careful what you do with the best that you have. Whenever you get a blessing from the Lord, give it back to him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to him in a deliberate act of worship. I've been in homes where we bought a used car and I've told the people that I'm buying this car from, I don't know what God's gonna do with this car, um, but I'll tell you what I'm gonna do afterwards. I'm just gonna pray, Lord, whatever you want, however long you wanna keep this thing on the road, whatever you wanna do. We had one family I told that with. We circled around the dead, I mean, the used car, right? It's dead, right? Uh, we circled around the used car and it turned out that this family, I'm buying the car from our believers and we're praying over my silver Toyota, whatever it is, and we're just praying, like, Lord, what do you want to do with this? There's times when we've sat before purchasing a home or whatever, just said, Lord, what do you want to do with this? This isn't ours. This is yours. We want to allow you to glorify yourself in this place. That's his statement. Give it back to him as a love gift. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to him in a deliberate act of worship. If you hoard a thing for yourself, that's the closed-handed, closed-fisted thing, it will turn into spiritual dry rot. Do, do you know what that is? I have some of this in my home right now. It's where, it's where it looks okay on the outside. Uh, under, it's under a coat of, of paint. But what's happening underneath it is it's just rotted away. It's not load-bearing anymore. It's, it's really quite useless. And he says that it can lead to spiritual dry rot as the manna did when it was hoarded. God will never let you hold a spiritual thing for yourself. It has to be given back to him so that it may be a blessing to others. Uh, I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but we bought a home when we moved to California that ended up like many of you experiencing the loss of the, the market and we, we way overpaid and it felt like an anchor for us. Literally, I use that term. Uh, we prayed before we made that decision and it felt like it was just holding us down. Uh, and we wondered like, what's going on, God? Like we prayed about this. Um, but what we felt like in retrospect and looking back on it and when the Lord provided for us the transition to move to Ohio, we felt like that silly house was something that God used to keep us in a place and time that he wanted us to be in for ministry. And he was working on us, helping us to grow and mature. And I look back on what was painful. And at times me crying out, what is going on? 
for me, in retrospect, to be able to sit back and say, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, you knew exactly what the Brennans needed for that time in history. And then you've provided what's next because you know the next chapter in our story. So, so for some of you, you're bitter, angry, you're discouraged, especially as, as this unpredictability about what's happening financially in the world that's around us. Am I going to have a job? Is it going to be able to provide? How much money do you have to make to survive in 2023? Uh, all of these questions, we under, I understand them. I feel those pressures as well. But what I want to remind you of is, is that God, the God that we worship, the God that we serve, he understands the answers to all of those questions. Amen? Amen. He, he understands our needs. He's been faithful. He's never not been faithful. And so when we stand back and we look at that very God who provided the mercy seat for us, the, the most valuable, precious gift for mankind. I think when we look at David's sacrificial giving, it's pales in comparison to the gift and provision and capacity of our Lord. So, so we recognize to, together, brothers and sisters, that God understands value. God understands what's important to us. And this is how we apply this truth this morning is I think that the third point, I've already mentioned it, but we give according to our understanding of God's value to us. We give according to God's, uh, our understanding of God's value to us. Found this to be quite interesting, reading the different stories that surrounded the building of this temple. That we get kind of a funny little snippet here at the end of 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 6 and into verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. I want you to see it. It says, And in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished. That, that house that we're talking about, that's the palace of God. That's what we know of as Solomon's temple. So the house was finished in all of its parts according to all of its specifications. And it was awesome. I showed you a picture earlier of it. It was amazing. Uh, it was a house that was worthy of God. Um, but the, there's a kind of a funny little sentence that follows after it. And it says, Solomon was building his own house for 13 years, and he finished his entire house. So, so seven years for God's house, 13 years for his house. I, I don't want to be critical, but I think it's quite fascinating that these are put up next to each other. So maybe we'll give Solomon the benefit of the doubt and say that he poured so much into God's house that he was able to complete it in half the amount of time. Others have suggested that maybe uh, there was a, a priority shift for him to focus in on his own situation more so than the task that was at hand. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think Solomon did a great thing, obedient to the Lord. But I think the reason why you could read in that latter thing is we know ourselves, right? We know the dead cow reality for some of us. We understand when we've made lavish promises to the Lord that, that over time when we actually show up to the situation that we might have ourselves saying, well, maybe he doesn't get this one, but maybe he gets that one. Uh, after, I think it was Hurricane Harvey um, that hit Houston so, so hard, I had the privilege of taking a team to go serve there uh, to help to rebuild some homes. And we were staying in a house, our church, slept on the floor of a church that had received donations. And uh, when, you, when you went into that place, there was a massive dumpster outside. And a part of the volunteer's job that came there was to 
pick through the things that were donated and they would have, they, they gave us the ratios. I think it was three dumpsters for every suitable amount of things that were to be donated. That people had sacrificially given, uh, some had, but others had just given their garbage, right? They'd, they'd given stuff that, that wasn't usable or, or resources that were not helpful or things that really didn't help to meet needs. And uh, every person who serves in a setting where people donate things, they see the painful reality of that, is that um, we're optimistic when we give things. And I, uh, I say it's a play on words, but I think I want to be a person who refuses to give to God my refuse. I, I don't want to be a person who gives him my leftovers. I want to be a person who understands that he is aware of how much I value him by the way that I give He's aware about how much I value him by the way that I grip and hold on to my resources. I, I have said many times that I want to be a person who, I want to be a church that not just meets the spiritual needs that we have in our community, but that we want to give sacrificially and generos, generously to, to advancing the gospel around the world. That's what it means to be a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And and I, and I believe when we do those things, when we give sacrificially, we at times allow ourselves to believe that it's not having an impact. And I've had the, the privilege to travel to some of these places around the world where we, we went to one of those places. Some of you have adopted compassion children over the years. And uh, we went to one of these places that, that was a Christian ministry where money had been devoted to the Compassion International. You know, many of you have a picture of a kid on your fridge. And I think you almost forget that they're a living, breathing human being. And I sat in a Bible study with a young man who'd become a pastor. He had been a compassion kid and, and then he'd grown up and he's a pastor in his community serving in this, this portion of the village that was protected and cared for and loved on because people had given. So I think sometimes when we give, we think that it's not doing anything, but in, in the hands of good stewards, it actually does incredible things. And so, so here, we refuse to give God a refuse. We uh, consider it an honor to give to the best of our ability. Um, I can think of perhaps no more beautiful illustration of this than in John 12, 1 through 8, when the Lord Jesus is going to go to the cross in the near horizon. And there's this woman named Mary, who what we know in Scripture is that she took a very expensive perfume. She pours it at the feet of the Lord and uh, the disciples, in particular Judas Iscariot, uh, is offended. How could you waste such a valuable thing on uh, this anointing the Lord's feet? Washing his feet was something that's precious. And the Lord's response back to her was quite fascinating. Um, so, so what we hear is two responses. So one, it's, it's Judas's response. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? He had the number in his mind, how much it was worth. He calculated its value. He had assessed it, and, and he said that it was going to be for the poor. Um, but, it, but what we know in the text is that actually he was selfish. He wanted to steal. He was a thief. And then the Lord Jesus defends her, and he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it. It's a very interesting phrase. She'd already anointed the Lord's feet with this. But I think it connects us to our, our future understanding of the provision of the Lord. He's going to die. There's an internal invest, eternal investment that we have and that we make on our life on this earth. And here, what it means for us to give sacrificially is for us to 
be a part of the eternal thing that God wants to do to bring himself glory and honor. I think, brothers and sisters, that it's important for us to remember that we must trust in the provision of God even when we readily don't see it. And I think for each one of us, I think it's time for us to take a moment and for us to consider that the way that we give to the Lord is indicative of the way that we truly feel about the Lord. Uh, That it is connected to our understanding of worship. It's connected to his worship. And I want you to take a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads together with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And I'm just going to ask you to join me. And I'm going to do this in my own life as well. So Father God, I, I thank you and praise you for... The example that we see in scripture, we're going to keep seeing this example of uh, lavish gifts that were appropriately set aside in order to help to build a firm foundation for worship, for sacrifices, for your plan to unravel of salvation in eternity. And I, I I want to celebrate the fact that a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Uh, stepped onto the earth, that there was a a man, uh, there was a group of people who understood what it meant to give sacrificially. And I just want to pray for each one of us, if we could have a mental image right now of, of what it means for us to respond to the provision of the Lord. Is it two hands open, Lord, whatever you want to do. Is it, is it what Jesus said to us? If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself Uh, Lord, we accept that denying ourselves is not culturally normal right now. Um, That that, uh, consuming and enjoying is culturally normal. So you say deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I just want to pray if there's any kind of anchor in our life that we're holding on to, any kind of um, thing that doesn't allow us to have a front row seat and what you're doing to multiply and to bring yourself glory and honor. I believe in my core that it's not because you lack anything that you teach us to give sacrificially. I believe that it's not because of the fact that you are um, frustrated because of your lack of resources. Um, But instead, Lord, I believe that you understand that simple truth that you taught us where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. So I ask, Lord, that you would expose inside of us anything that we're holding on to. And I pray that as we sit it at your feet as a form of worship to you, um, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself in mighty and special ways, that you'd humble us, that you'd allow us to sense your loving presence, that we would understand what it means to be um, strangers and aliens in a world that is temporary, Um, But I celebrate uh, the fact that you are eternal and that you've gone to prepare a place for us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your authority in our life. Thank you that you're a king that deserves a throne that's worthy to be worshiped. I pray that as we close in this time of worship, that we would do so in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.